Welcome to More Than A Few Words, a marketing conversation for business owners. MTFW is a production of Roundpeg, where we believe that marketing strategy should be delivered in plain English. This is Lorraine Ball. This is Jared Jewett. And this week, we're going to talk about Web 2020. We want to start, though, by talking about the web trends that we see right now in 2014 and where they'll lead in about five years. Absolutely. And um, kind of to back up and tell you a little bit about kind of where this conversation really came from, I was at a conference recently and I was in a room with about 40 other people that do kind of what I do. Mm -hmm. And the facilitator asked us, what did we think the web was going to look like? And that's where some of these trends came from. So what was kind of the the process for your speaker to get, you you were talking earlier about the audience Mm -hmm. and and how they participated, so can you walk us through that a little bit? So the conversation was really fun because, and it was uh, Jeb Banner, those of you that know him at Smallbox Web, Jeb did a fabulous job. He basically put four categories on the wall, brands, agencies, web developers, and consumers Mm. and asked us for all of these different constituencies what was going to be important what were the drivers going to be and we all had post-it notes and we were all writing our own ideas and then we threw them all up on the wall and the interesting thing was then we started kind of organizing and individually none of us really has a crystal (laughs) ball sure but when you start looking at 20 different agencies all seeing the same thing, you start to realize that collectively we have a pretty good handle on where the web is going. Sure. So can we identify maybe one or two of the big things that you saw that everybody was talking about? Because these are thought leaders, I mean, from firms that are being very successful, right? So, I mean, what are some of the things they're talking about? Well, one of the first things that seemed to come up over and over again was this idea of personalization. Okay. And we're already seeing some of that in, in different things as people start kind of collecting their own data and how they want to read it. But the idea is that people are going to want to go to a website and experience it the way they want. Sure. They're going to want to have their resources and their tools all organized and customized for them. Sure. I mean, and, and you know, we were talking earlier, you know, some examples. I mean, there are companies that do that today. That yeah. create that experience. Right. One of the ones that, you know, I always look back to is kind of the difference between some, I mean, not a lot of people use Google Plus, but for those that do, um, Google Sparks was a really kind of innovative thing that really showed the content that Google thought that you were interested in. You could, uh, you could kind of curate it that way. And it was sort of their replacement for the personalization people were getting out of Google Reader. And when Google Reader went off off the map, there was nothing that was really doing that for you, or at least not on such a large scale. And I think Sparks was really kind of kind of getting there. Although, you know, of course, we saw the adoption of Google Plus kind of plummet. But but I think that's a pretty good example. I think that is. I think Amazon, in terms of a, a consumer, when I go to Amazon and I log in, it presents to me books mm-hmm. based on what I've purchased before. Oh, yeah. Now the problem with that is that my husband and I shared an Amazon account. So good so Amazon would get confused because well does does this reader want romance novels <laughs> or murder <laughs> mysteries? Sure. So in order to do personalization, uh, individuals are going to have to sort of have their own persona online. 
and be willing not to be anonymous. Right. I mean, looking ahead five years, we know that the technology, you know, the robots are never going to 100% be able to accurately uh, personalize things for you. And we really are going to have to give up uh, some of that very private, often, information just so the algorithms have some idea of what we want and how to show it to us. We can't have both, you know. Yeah, it is going to be a trade-off, but I think with each successive generation... um, I think people my age and older are a little suspicious of the web. I think folks that are closer to your age are very comfortable with, yeah, I put this information online. Here's who I am. Give me what I want. Right. It it kind of lowers the barrier uh, to entry for us. I mean, it's so easy when we're logging in or creating a profile on a new social media account to say, I like things X, Y, Z, and for the social media platform to spit out back at us, well, then you'll definitely like A, B, C, D. I mean, that's very comfortable. That's In fact, it's expected, which is why we're looking forward to the next five years. And I think that same level of expectation is is going to now not just be social platforms, but yeah. also be expected when I'm interacting with a brand, when sure. I'm interacting with a product or a service. So that's going to be a real challenge for companies that don't know their customers well sure. today. It's going to get even harder down the road. So we were talking earlier, and we even wrote a post on it about... Uh, Facebook's paper app. I mean, I think the exact thing that you're saying is a problem for, I mean, so we're getting back to social media, but for social media platforms that are actually so huge that they have no way of really very effectively drilling down to the individual. And, uh, and, in, and on paper, Facebook gives you what it thinks you will find interesting. And um, I love the idea of being able to curate it. I happen to really like the feel of the paper app. True. But I find their article suggestions very limited. Mm. And so I'm still, I'm going to continue to use Facebook and paper for my personal interactions, but they haven't given me something that gives me the quality content tool. I'm probably going to stay with Feedly, um, which was my replacement for Google Reader, when I'm looking for information. I think Facebook's refusal to let me curate my own content was a huge mistake. So is that something that in the next five years we're just looking for a more robust way to curate our content, our content, or a, a freer way? I think I think it's um, I think there are robust content curation okay. tools. Yeah. I think it's going to be that freedom to to kind of build the way I want, both from information, but also. Um, Shopping experiences. If I go to a website multiple times to buy things, I want a more fine-tuned experience than I get from Amazon confusing me with my husband. Sure. Um, I like when I go to Netflix now and I open up my Netflix account and it asks me, who's watching? Is it Lorraine, Andy, or Harrison? Right. Because we all have our own um, things that we watch through the family Netflix account. And they Mm. figured out... That there are multiple people using this sure. account. So they're just very aware of the people that are using their account. Whereas, you know, if we go back to Facebook, sure, they're aware, but they've got you know, billions of people using it. It's, it's very difficult for them to build those kind of programs, I think. Well, um, I think they're, the way to do it would have been to allow me to pull in RSS feeds yeah. from anything oh, sure. I wanted. They made a conscious decision. No, we're going to control. Yeah. We're going to control the information flow, and I think five years ago that would have been okay. Yeah. Now I'm like, um, no, I don't think so. There's no way. I, I I want what I want. I don't want what you want. Sure. And I think you're going to see, as um, the web's always been this way. 
if I have this experience over here, I want it everywhere else. Mm -hmm. So as some companies lead with giving you more personalization, more opportunities to pick the information you want and how you want it, we're going to come to expect that everywhere. Sure. Um, Switching gears, one of the other, I think, and this was a really interesting conversation that came out of, of that discussion, this theme of accessibility. Sure. Um, you know, we do not live in a world where everybody has two arms, two legs, two eyes, and two ears. Right. And for a long time, the web was designed and made the assumption that everybody did. It's really interesting, actually. Uh, we talk about accessibility, and you're right. We're not talking about user experience uh, in the traditional sense, right? We're not talking about user experience for someone who has, you know, 2020 vision or glasses for correction or can click around a screen. We're actually talking about making your websites and making the entire brand experience accessible to people with disabilities. There are a lot of tools, and, and the expectation is there will be more and there will be better tools. I think one of the first things that we're that that has emerged is significantly better voice recognition. Sure. Both from the perspective of being able to dictate messages, but also to direct and provide commands. Mm-hmm. Um you know, Dragon Speak and Dragon Software for people who were uh, who could not use their fingers to type, um, perhaps they were blind or perhaps they just couldn't use their, uh, couldn't, uh, were, were paralyzed, being able to dictate. Dragon software was pretty wonky. Um, to be perfectly honest, okay. it um, would understand you, but it wouldn't understand me. Oh, fascinating. Okay. Mo- most early voice recognition software was geared for a male tenor voice. Huh. So a female... Um, alto or soprano, if your natural tone was too high, it got confused. Throw in a New York accent. There's no way. It's right? and, and I still battle that, but the voice sure. recognition softwares are getting better. Yeah. I can dictate messages now and watch them come up on my keyboard, and they're almost usable. Wow, that's great. I mean, one of the really, really important things to for brand managers in particular to understand about build, building their websites is that accessibility is the law of the land. It is federal law. Uh, we talk a lot about uh, Section 508. Mm-hmm. I have a very good friend who that's his job, is consulting with businesses, with other websites, particularly federal websites, and getting their, uh, their, their web processing up to date. Uh, so people who use something like voice readers who have this technology that reads websites to them, uh, that the websites are, act- are actually, um, uh, I guess, audio legible. And, you know, um, there's some silly things that we do that we don't even think about what that does to the user experience. We upload photos called Photo 1, Photo 2, <laughs> Photo yeah. 3. Yeah. Every website you go to has those kind of pictures. Well, when one of these readers scans across it, the person who is trying to access your website with that reader, instead of hearing, you know, a photo, cat, photo, um, you know, atomic example, whatever sure. it is, they get photo one. That kind of doesn't help them really understand right. what they're looking at. So even from the most basic website starting now, as you're uploading pictures, 
making sure that your graphs and your pictures are titled correctly, richly described. Yeah. I mean, now, this is a pain in the ass when you're designing. Sure. No question, but it's coming. Yeah, absolutely. And, I mean, of course, if we want to talk the business of it, there is some SEO value in doing that, too. So you're killing two birds with one stone. You're, you're improving the user experience, absolutely, by for these people who, for instance, can't see, by having the images you know, better described to them, uh, you're, again, improving the user experience. But at the same time, I mean, the Google bots can definitely read what, any sort of description that you've given to a photo to help lend credibility to perhaps what you're writing about. Absolutely. And so, um, I mean, the Google robots are, are very much the same intelligence that, that um, people looking for more accessibility in the website, they're going to be using that same sort of intelligence. Right. And so it's got to work both ways. One... Can your website be read and experienced by somebody who's using this type of technology? And the other side of it, I think websites are going to be built with more voice commands. True. Um, I think, you know, open this page, read the, you know, read this, jump to where we're going to move beyond the scroll and the click sure. to, to more voice-directed commands. I mean, we've talked about it before, but we've seen Google already, you know, fixing its algorithm for voice command. There's mm-hmm. no reason that the rest of the web shouldn't follow that example. I, and it will in five years, absolutely. Yeah, I, I totally think so. And um, one last thing I want to talk about, and this is really more, I think, something people need to think about, um, is the merging of technology. Mm-hmm. You know, today we have telephones and televisions and laptops and desktops, um, and your website and your data has to appear on each of them, and there's a lot of of thought given to mobile responsiveness and making sure it displays. I think the devices are going to start merging. I, I think the technology, and I think it's going to be kind of an interesting process. I mean, we're already there. You can grab Netflix. Uh, you can use that app on all sorts of technology. You can use it on... I have a smart television at home, mm-hmm. which I absolutely love, and I can access Netflix and Hulu through that. I can access it through my Xbox. I can access it through my Android phone, my iPad, computer, any anything, right? And and there's no reason why we shouldn't be getting these devices that are just kind of all-in-ones. I mean, it, it makes the most sense. It's scary for these companies who are... Uh, I think the word we use is compartmentalized, but... Um, it's scary for them, but it's huge for us as people, as content creators. As content creators and as content consumers. Sure. Um, my favorite purchase in the last year was my little um, Chromecast device. Yeah. Because I have televisions that are not smart TVs. And yeah. suddenly I'm popping this in and suddenly my standard TV has become... Yeah. A smart TV. Totally brilliant. I mean, what a way to capitalize on that market. And people who are already comfortable with the Google brand in particular um, uh, are, are fine with using it and fine with, again, upgrading their television experience. But it really isn't just a television experience. It's a multimedia experience. And that's what everything's going to be in five years. And um, very clever on their, their part. I can run, from my iPhone, I can run... Uh, YouTube and Netflix, but my husband from his droid mm-hmm. or from his laptop can actually run almost any program oh, sure. and project it on the screen. Oh, absolutely. So suddenly, my television is my computer monitor. It's you know, it's my internet interface, and um, 
I'm becoming very divisive, not agnostic. Yeah. I don't really need the laptop and the desktop if I've got the this one device that runs everything with a good keyboard. So here's my question. Is, does, is everything coming together again? Are we kind of rever reverting back to when the family just sat around like the radio <laughs> or the television? But Because now we have access in one little device in, in our living room. That I, I truly believe it will be just a box that does everything just like it was 70 years ago. I mean, is there really any difference other than we can do, you know, 50,000 more things? I think um, the only difference that I see between back then and now is... The family had one radio mm -hmm. or one television. Sure. Um, I, I think what you're going to see, I mean, and you can already do this, is have two people sitting side by side on a couch, both with headphones and a split screen. Hmm. Andy's watching House of Cards. I'm watching Fringe. Everybody's happy. Sweet, yeah. You know, I, I mean, I think that, um, but that one device powering the experience yeah. throughout the house, yes. Yeah, cool. and I think it's um, that... Internet accessibility as the conduit yeah. for everything. Absolutely. Yeah. So it really wrecks havoc when the electricity goes out. <laughs> uh, yes, that's, <laughs> that's the next problem, the next, the next hurdle to jump. Awesome. Well, if you've enjoyed today's musings on where we're going to be in, in the year 2020, you want to see if I'm right, do me a favor, go ahead and, and save this particular podcast and call me back on March 1st, 2020. But between now and then, if you'd like to know more about marketing and business and web design, you can always check out our blog at roundpeg.biz. This has been another episode of More Than A Few Words. Thanks for listening.